Welcome to Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church, Avon Park, Florida. The whole time that, that Amos is prophesying, he didn't realize what he was prophesying about, but God did. He just knew that he was prophesying a word from God that he's going to restore these people. But the whole time Amos is prophesying, God knew that he was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we have hope, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Living Faith. You're invited to join us as we continue our series entitled, Roll Down, Judgment and Restoration in the Prophecy of Amos. For the Hebrew people, life in the Promised Land was a cycle. Though God had promised His people a land of plenty, He also commanded them to remember Him and His law in their abundance. The people became blinded by their prosperity and often followed after other gods, worthless idols. Each time God graciously provided the voice of a prophet to call his people back to himself and to warn of impending judgment. Amos was one such prophet in this cycle. This shepherd, called from the fields of a small town, was chosen to bring God's message of judgment to a powerful and arrogant nation. A message so very relevant to New Testament believers who were part of Israel's faithful remnant through Jesus Christ. So get your Bible and pen ready, and let's listen in as Pastor John Beck leads us through the book of Amos. Take your Bible, if you will, and find that should-be-familiar Old Testament book of Amos. Several years ago, when, um, as I was uh, pastoring, and, and I, I began, probably after my first year of being a pastor, uh, I began the... the um, discipline, I guess you could say, of preaching through book to the Bible. And uh, I can remember uh, preaching through a book of the Bible, something like a book of Amos, where you generally would not have have, uh, been in church very often and heard many sermons on the book of Amos. And I remember the joy of of preaching through a book a lot like Amos. And after the the last sermon uh, in the book, I really think about it, and somebody came to me and said, well, you know, what a joy it is that we have. And think about it this way. What a joy it is that we have been able to sit down and to work through, verse by verse, a book that was written uh, by God uh, for a group of people. And so uh, uh, there are many ways that we can rightfully preach the Word of God, but isn't it great to know that we have, as a body of Christ, have sat here and looked at every verse of this wonderful book that we would call Amos. So if you're visiting with us today, you may be visiting with your family, you might want to turn to the table of contents to find Amos. It's a little book, uh, but it is a great book. Turn, if you will, to Amos chapter 9. As we think about the conclusion of Amos, uh, I want us to think about the word hope. Uh, Amos is drawing to an end. There's been five sermons and visions, and everything is dealing with judgment upon the nation of Israel And so what I'd like to do this morning is to finish up on the word hope and then do a a quick overview of all that we've learned about uh, the gospel in the book of Amos. But as I think about that word hope, and and, uh, Pastor Lehman mentioned Father's Day as as Matt was leading us. uh, This is Matt's first official Father's Day. Where'd Matt go? Uh, That's exciting. Chad, this will be your last unofficial Father's Day. Uh, next Father's Day, and, and I don't know from looking around the, any new grandparents that we have. I, I don't know. We don't have time to share grandparents. That's a little bit, you know, we don't have that much time. Uh, but I think about the world that we live in, and I think about men. Uh, and, as, you know, we could look around and look at the condition of our society, and we could lose hope real quick. You know, when you're in a Bible study and prayer meeting and someone that's just full of evil and hate walks in and, 
and does what he is doing. It's easy to lose hope, isn't it? Uh, we can look around our society, and, and men, I, I'm not going to beat up on you today. Usually that's what we do. Mother's Day, we talk about how wonderful mothers are. Men, Father's Day, we just beat you up for an hour. I'm not going to do that. But as we do look out in our society, uh, men are, are, are missing the mark. You know, we look at consistently those that are leading their household in our world. Uh, men are, are not standing up, taking the active role that they should as leaders of their home. And it would be very easy to lose hope. And to think, well, good gracious, if we're having, you know, killing each other in prayer meetings and we look at the world we're in, you know, what do we do? Well, I'm going to tell you, do not lose hope because of Calvary and the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed. Uh, We don't have to lose hope. My hope is not based on the things of this side of heaven. My hope is in the glory and the splendor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you look right here in Amos chapter 9, that is what the Lord is telling to the nation of Israel. You know, you've heard the messages. It's just been message and message and message after judgment and and, and their disobedience and God never blessing disobedience. And, And throughout the book of Amos, God has been telling the nation of Israel, you will be judged. And we know that they were. 722 B.C., the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, was judged by the Ninevites, and they were utterly destroyed, and everything that the book of Amos said would take place took place. But the end of the book gives us hope, and it also took place. So turn, if you will, to Amos chapter 9, beginning there in verse 11. Amos 9, verse 11, in that day, now that's a a futuristic comment of something that was about to happen. And as we look at Old Testament prophecy and we look at the Old Testament, there's kind of a confusing thing that's going on. It's kind of a, uh, I like to say, and I picked this up at seminary, this idea of already and not yet. Uh, There's going to be a day where the the nation of Israel will be restored. There's an already, but there's a not yet that's going to take place. There's going to be a day when the Lord returns and and there is going to be a kingdom that is established. There's a day for us that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. There's an already, but there's also a not yet in the future where he will rule over us. And so the Christian life is full of the kingdom of heaven has come. There is an already, but there's also a not yet. There's not been fully established. And so when we see here in Amos, we don't want to think about just the Old Testament covenant, just the nation of Israel. In that day, I will raise up. Something's going to take place. It has already happened, but it's not yet fully come into being. I on that day will rise up. The booth of David that has fallen. Now, he's talking about the tabernacle uh, and and the house of worship. And he's talking about David, which is kind of a a mixed message if you don't pay close attention. The northern kingdom did not want to follow after the rule of David because they left the southern kingdom. So you forgot about that, didn't you? The southern kingdom was where David was, and when the nation became divided, the northern kingdom left the southern kingdom. So I I just love the way God handles things. He said, you know, you had already left the the southern kingdom where David was, but he said, there's going to be a day that I'm going to rise up the booth of David that has fallen. And I will repair its breaches, raise up its ruins, rebuild it in the days of old. And so there is a historical already, but a spiritual not yet. There is a historical rebuilding where we're talking about rocks and stone and buildings. But there's also a spiritual rebuilding where there's a spiritual uh, renewal that will take place. That they may possess the land of Eden. And all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman, plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and they shall inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and they drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted. And out of that land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that day of restoration. We thank you for the promise of the remnant through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're grateful for that already that you have come, but not yet you have established your full rule and reign over your people. Lord God, we're thankful that you judge because you are right and fair and holy, but you also restore because of grace and mercy, and we thank you for that today. Help us to see who you are. Lord God, help us to see who we are in light of your word, that we might know you, that we might live for you, that we might embrace the hope and the promises of your word. We thank you again for the power of the gospel to change lives. And we pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, turn back to verse 11 there. Because we do have hope. You stay there. I'm going to look at Romans 15. Romans 15, Paul is encouraging uh, the, the Gentiles. And one of my favorite little verses that I like to share with people as far as talking about uh, their relationship with Christ, and it's a, a good word for you this morning, uh, Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And Paul is referring to the, the gospel coming to the Jews and Gentiles in Romans 15. And so here's my question to you as we think about this word hope. Do you have hope that is overflowing and abounding in joy? Now, go back, go back. Hundreds of years, you're the nation of Israel, and God has just said, I'm going to destroy you and tear this place down. They didn't believe that because things were going so well, but he leaves them with a message of hope and says, one day I'm going to restore the nation of Israel. One day I'm going to plant you and you'll never be removed. And what he's saying to us here today is, do we have that hope? Do you have the hope that we know who God is? Do we have the hope in our own life that says that we may abound in hope and it's something that is giving us through the Spirit from the inside and we know that we have an, an abounding hope regardless of the world that we live in and all the terrible things that are going on that our God reigns and he rules from heaven and he is loving and just and merciful. Do we have that hope? If you can't say yes, then I want to take you to the cross because that's the only place we're going to find hope. Is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice what, uh, I, I, love, I love prophecy. I, I love how God is the same in, the, in Genesis as he is in Revelation. Go back to Amos. In that day, so it, it's kind of confusing, but it's not confusing. It's like sometimes riding home, I think I've preached the greatest clear sermon in the world and I can always go home and ask the family how it went. Well, I always blame it on them and their walk with Christ if they don't get it. So if you don't get it, it's your fault, not mine, okay? But you've got, you've got Amos, the, the, the herdsman, the, the farmer, standing in the midst of a prosperous people. 
And he, he, he has talked to every sermon, every vision, every message has been about you're not following the way of God. You're not worshiping God rightly. You're not uh, treating others properly. You're not living out a right relationship with God. And one day he's going to send an enemy and the nations are going to come in and destroy you and you'll be exiled and you'll be no more. But they, they were looking at him like, what is he talking about? Look how wonderful everything's going. And in the midst of it, what was taking place in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament law, notice what God is telling them. It's so much more deep-rooted than the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Notice what he says. One day, one day, I will raise up the booth of David that is falling and repair its branches. I will raise it up and rebuild it as if the days of old One day, God said he's going to raise up the branch of David. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 1. How many of you, when you start reading the New Testament, every you say, I'm going to read the New Testament year, and you get to the lineage, the genealogy, and Matthew chapter 1, you think, why is this here? I'm going to tell you why it's there. Because Amos said, one day I'm going to rise up the tabernacle of David. And you won't have to worry about this anymore. See, he's not talking about the nation of Israel as far as a a building and an altar and sacrifice. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, a lot of times we think about the future fulfillment of all the things of Israel. All the future fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies point to the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to read the genealogy, but it starts the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of who? David. Isn't God wonderful? How consistent and right he is? That we can take an Old Testament prophecy and in the whole time that, that Amos is prophesying, he didn't realize what he was prophesying about, but God did. He just knew that he was prophesying a word from God that he's gonna restore these people. But the whole time Amos is prophesying, God knew that he was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great place to say amen? That's why we have hope. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice as we look at verse 14. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. Now I got excited looking at this. I don't get, you know, hoop and holler and excitement. Y'all might think I'm not Baptist no more. Turn in your mind to Genesis chapter 1. What happened? He had Adam and Eve. Everything was great. And when they sinned, it created a a relationship problem between God and man. In the very first book of the Bible, Jesus is at the center of what is taking place. The gospel of the Lord Jesus, from the very beginning, the gospel is in the background. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. When we look at Genesis 3.15 and we understand that theologically, you know what that's referring to? 
The conquering of Satan and that serpent when Jesus Christ dies on that cross is buried and he raises again. From the very beginning, we have God. If we're reading the book of the Bible and we're standing there and we're, we're standing in, in the redemptive history and we're standing in the midst of the garden, as we watch events unfold, what we're looking at is the cross in the future. In the very beginning, God says, I am providing a way to make this relationship right. And the only way it's going to be right is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Amos was standing there in the nation of Israel, he said, you know what? You have sinned and you've turned your back against a holy God. And because of that, I'm going to totally destroy you, a lot like he did at the ark. But what does God always provide? He always provides a remnant. And even in the book of Amos, he is standing there prophesying to the nation of Israel. And what can be seen in redemptive history is the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, I will raise up. And, you know, he is a farmer, remember? Notice what happens. He said, I will restore the fortunes of my people. It's like going back to Eden. He said, I will plant them on the ground. Notice what happens in verses 13 and following. Now, if you you don't really understand what's going on, just imagine this. When the plowman shake, take overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes when he is sowed. It'd be like being out in the grove and somebody's planting the trees and before you can get the tree planted, here comes the pickers picking the trees. It's, it, it's no longer going to be, well, you've got to wait and do it. Things are going to be going in such a great way that, 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 that as the plants are being planted, the, the, the reaper is coming to pick, and we're not even through planting yet. It's going to be such a great spiritual harvest one day. It's going to be such a glorious place to be one day. We're not going to have the old covenant law. We're not going to have the law bound around our neck. We're not going to have the laws that we cannot keep. We're going to have grace, and it's going to be a land of prosperity. And I tell you, great picture of this is when the Lord's return and we look at the millennium even as we think about the restoration of the nation of Israel and and how we have different understandings of that of course I like to just get in the midst of everybody and make everybody mad in debates if y'all hadn't picked up on that that's what I loved about seminary the Bible clearly speaks on a lot of issues but a lot of things are just kind of up to what you know we don't know yet and I love to get people fired up over the stuff we'll never know and so one of the big debates is, is, it, is, it, is the restoration of Israel all spiritual? Is the restoration of Israel all physical? Is there actually going to be a, a physical restoration of Israel one day? And so it just depends who I'm talking to, who I want to get all fired up about it. But I will tell you this. There's going to be a thousand-year reign with King Jesus on the throne. That's called the millennium. And it's pointing to this. And it's also pointing to eternity. And so if you're just thinking about the nation of Israel, you're missing it. It's so much more than the nation of Israel. What God is promising to us here today, people have hope. Because I've sent my son, Jesus Christ. See, we had the benefit of being the other side of the cross. They were this side of the cross. I shared with a group of people yesterday at a little Bible setting, conference type thing. And I was sharing with a group of people, I said, you know how exciting it is to be, because how many of us get discouraged when we watch the news? You know, we turn on the news and we're like, oh my goodness, we're killing each other in prayer meeting. We can't get along anymore. Oh, what a terrible time to live. I'm going to tell you, it is not a terrible time to live. It is a glorious time to live. You know why? We're living after the cross and before it's coming. 
There's nothing else that's going to happen in redemptive history that's going to make a difference until the Lord returns. And so I get the privilege of living in a period of time where I've received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have the power of the Holy Spirit. And the next thing I'm waiting on is his return. So I'm trying to share the good news with as many people as possible so that we can all enjoy it together. Isn't that great? There's nothing else that's going to happen until the Lord returns. And then, this is where it gets kind of funny, once he returns, we don't care about all the stuff we've argued about before. But I'm not going to get in heaven after the Lord returns. Where are all those Methodists? I told you you had to be baptized. You're here. You think I'm going to care about that? Do you think I'm going to care about the timing of the rapture down there? Do you think I'm going to care about whether what is speaking in tongues back there? Do you think we're going to care about all these? No, we're not going to care about all these things. So let's not worry about them this side of heaven. Let's just live the way we need to live this side of heaven with the hope of his coming. He said, I will do this. Well, let me remind you, he did it. We're not in the Old Testament anymore, are we? We're not sitting on the, the, the steps to the, the temple that's been destroyed by the Ninevite. We're not sitting there looking into the future going, well, when is this going to happen? He has done it. It has already taken place. We are in a already, but not yet fully. We are experiencing this abundance in a way. When you think about our salvation, you think about the power of the Holy Spirit, when you think about the task that has been given to us, we are already getting to experience what God is doing to the midst of his people. We're no longer considered the nation of Israel. I look at it this way. In the Old Testament, you had the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, you have the church. The church is God's chosen people, and we are living beyond the cross we are getting to experience somewhat the benefits of that remnant that he talked about to the nation of Israel but we don't live like it do we well let me help you a little bit maybe we need to refresh what's going on I'm not going to walk through the entire chapter book but I want us to do this he prophesied about a coming remnant And that remnant came in the Lord Jesus Christ. His grace is sufficient. The hope that Paul was talking about is the hope that we have through the gospel. We don't have to keep looking for something to happen to fill us. We don't have to keep looking for that thing to take place that's going to change us. Everything has already happened. And as we look back at Amos, I think we can remember what that really looks like. As we've gone through Amos, what have we learned? i tell you what we've learned. One is, God is a loving, sovereign ruler over his people. Now think about what we've looked at. We're not going to look at all the different verses, but we have a God. You know, I think we think, I think we think, that our God is this big. And that somehow or another, We've got a throne in heaven with God. You ever feel that way sometimes? There there are times that I say, now God, if you ever need any help, just let me know. If Pastor Lehman's busy, I'll be glad to help too. Being your oldest Pastor Lehman, you're, you know, you're close. Matt says that about me, so that's why I say it about Pastor Lehman. God is and always has been and always will be the ruler over his creation. 
the loving, sovereign ruler over his creation. Now, when I think about a father, when I was a little child, I used to think my father was kind of mean and didn't understand, wouldn't let me do anything. You ever feel that way? But isn't it amazing when you become, when your brain fully develops? When your brain fully develops somewhere in your 20s, to some of y'all it's in the 30s, to some of y'all we don't know yet. But something happens when your brain fully develops and you think, gosh, I miss dad. Boy, he was right on, wasn't he? Isn't that true? We're all that way. So you kids are going, well, I'm not there yet because your brain's not fully developed. I'm telling you, you don't believe me. One day you're going to come, you'll be walking in the mall and going, Pastor, you were so right. My brain's developed now. Well, I know. <laughs> Welcome to the real world. I understood more when my father would discipline me why he was doing what he was doing. I understood when I had children how much a father should love their children and care for their children. When I think about the hope and that remnant at the end of Amos, we need to remember about the God of Amos. He is a loving, just creator. He knows us. He loves us. If we are redeemed, he has saved us. And we think back as we go, look at Amos chapter 3, verse 15 there. 13, Amos 3, 13, hear and testify against the house of Jacob. Notice the words there, uh, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts. He uses there the God of hosts several times in Amos and also Lord God. And, and, and they're, they're English words that we've tried to take the Hebrew and try to uh, determine the names of God. But when we think about God being a just sovereign ruler and a loving ruler over our lives, we need to never forget that. Just the names of loan, the God of hosts. He is the God of a great army. We think about Lord God. We think about uh, the, the master, Jehovah Yahweh. We think about our creator and our sustainer and our God. He's on his throne. And just by the, the hearing of those names, we should realize God is always going to be God. My hope is in him and nothing else. He's always had a plan and always will. He ruled over the nations in this time. Has he taken a sabbatical or is he still ruling the nations today? You tell me, yes or no? Yes, he's God. He rules over the nature. He says, I'll, I'll dictate what the Nile River does. That that, and God is still on his throne and he wants to guide our lives. He is a loving, just God. It is ruling his universe. And so when I, when I turn on the news and I hear that, I, there's a side of me that wants to climb into my bunker. You know, there, there's another side of me that wants to get out of the bunker with my weapons. And then I remember, he's still God. He always will be. And I'm thankful that he is. Let God be God in your life. Let him be the sovereign, loving Ruler, creator that he is. Secondly, if we look at Amos, everyone is accountable to God. Let me say that again. Everyone 
is accountable to God. How many times did I flip back to Deuteronomy as we went through Amos and read what was given to the nation of Israel? If you do this, you will multiply and you will prosper in the land. If you follow my ways, I will bless you. If you do these things, you will be prosperous. But if you do not, then I will judge. If you do not, then this will take place. And this is what God is saying. Every one of us, everyone is accountable to God. You know, the world says we shouldn't judge people. Well, as a believer, we shouldn't judge people. But as as a believer, we should understand that God has given us his word, and that is what the judgment is based on. Everyone is accountable to God. I I made reference a few weeks ago about the T-shirts you see. I'm only judged by God. Yes, you are. That's a dangerous thing. Only God can judge me. Yes, he can. And yes, he will. And yes, he is. So if, if you're not walking with God, that ought to scare you to death. Please get your heart right. God is judging you right now. We are all accountable to God. We all will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. We all will stand before his great throne of judgment. We're all accountable. If we obey, this is the good part. I'm accountable to the Lord. The, the Lord is holding me accountable for everything I do. Now, can you imagine when, when I think about me? I think about God. You know, there's a side of me as I look around. I could feel your names in instead of me. Do you think the angel said, God, you need a, you need a do-over? You didn't get, he hadn't done enough, you know. Uh, he's a little bit this, he's a little bit that. Surely the good, you need a do-over. We need a, you know, we need a veto power, some of, some of us. We just, we're not, you know, and then I think about it, God doesn't make mistakes. And because I'm accountable to him, guess this is what I get excited about. All I have to do is what I think I need to do the best of my ability, follow the Lord Jesus Christ, follow the Holy Spirit, love him, love the word, love right, hate wrong, keep my heart right, and I'm gonna stand up before him one day and I hope I can say, I did it. And he's gonna say, yes, you did. And he's gonna look out in my presence and I believe he's gonna say, John, I created you and gifted you and I used you. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. What Christ is doing is what, what the Lord wants is our heart. Instead of worrying about what we need to do and don't do and should do and couldn't do, just give him your heart and love him and love his word and, and ask the spirit to guide you in all truth and righteousness. And at the end of the day, I'm going to be accountable for him. So yes, and in essence, I don't really care what everybody else thinks, but we ought to care about what the world perceives about our faith. That's another sermon. We shouldn't really care about what people think as long as we know we're pleasing God. I'm going to be accountable to God one day, and I hope I'm excited about it. All the Lord wants is your heart. But as I look around the congregation, children's church is gone, is it not? It's time for some of y'all to grow up. You say you've given him your heart, but you're not living like you've given him your heart. And we're going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to say, okay, your brain's fully developed. No more excuses. It's time for us to realize that we are going to be accountable before God one day. I'm not going to be able to blame anybody or point my fingers at anybody. I'm going to be standing before the Lord Jesus Christ myself. I'll receive a blessing or judgment. I'm either going to be blessed today as I live my life for him and his glory 
or I'm going to be judged. But you know, sometimes we look around and think, you know, Pastor, you're right, and I am really, I'm really, really trying to do what's right. But the harder I seem to try, the harder it seems to get. And the people that don't try it at all, they seem to be having everything going their way. Go back to the nation of Israel. And it leads us to our third truth. Looks are deceiving. You know, I talk about, I'll mention this, you know, a good example could be our, our country. Do we have to be prosperous for God to be with us? I struggle with that, do you? I'd much rather live in a prosperous country than, a, wouldn't you? But I think even in our, in our world, we think, oh my goodness, if we, don't get, if we don't let God, if we don't bless God, we're not going to be a prosperous nation. That's not, that's, a, that's the prosperity gospel. Prosperity does not always mean blessing. That's what the nation of Israel is facing right here in Amos. So looks are deceiving. All God asks for is our heart. Another truth. With great privilege comes great responsibility. Going back to our country, we need to grasp that. We have been blessed and we have the, the, just the natural resources alone. Our great country can change the world. And God is saying, I've given it to you. What will you do with it? And this isn't about saving trees or not using oil. This is about spiritual things as well. If you're sitting in this room today, you've got more than 85% of the world has. If you're sitting in this room today, I was talking to a young man this week about uh, the church in South Korea and how they have so little, but they have everything in God and they hunger after the things of God. And over here in our land today, we've got everything and we, every sermon that is preached in America, most of the time, I feel like, and I know pastors feel like, and I'm not talking about y'all, but I am talking. It's like we're trying to beg people to do what they ought to want to do anyway. And over Korea and China, they're meeting in caves and holes and they're facing death just to sit up under the gospel. In our churches in America, it feels like we got to do everything just right. If the music is not right, if the lights are not right, if the, if the temperature's not right, if it's not, the weather's not right, if everything's not right, it's not going to be an effective church. And we've bought into that, that we've got to do everything we do to let people get it. You either got it or you don't. And I think about the souls that are from our great country that have had the opportunity to hear the God. I think about people that have grown up in church. Think about the number of Baptists that we know that have grown up in this church, that have heard the gospel, have gone to vacation Bible school, have been taught by Sunday school teachers, and they've turned their back on the things of God. And they're going to stand up before the Lord Jesus one day, and Christ is going to be saying, my terms, you've got to be kidding me. It wasn't like you grew up on the Nile River or the, the Amazon River and never heard the gospel. I have no idea what God wants to do in my life. But I'm excited to figure it out. With great privilege comes great responsibility. I don't know what number I'm on. Here's another one. Worship not focused on God is hypocrisy. When worship is about for us, it's hypocrisy. Worship is to him. 
Now, that can look in a lot of different ways, and we don't have time to unpack what true worship is, but true worship starts in our heart and our desire, our reasons for being here. I know it's Father's Day, and we're all looking at our clock, and there's nothing wrong with that. I do know our bodies. As I get older, I realize I can only sit for so long. But how many of us, when we gather in here on Sunday mornings, are really focused on why we're here rather than why we shouldn't be here? Isn't that true? Did I just hit a nerve there? How many of us are thinking about everything we can't wait to do because we don't have church tonight? Or we're thinking about, I used to do the same thing. What time do Falcons kick off? Hey, U.S. Open today. Leaders tee off at six. You know, we, we think about everything that we need to be doing instead of while we're here. Worship that that is God-centered worship is hypocrisy. Last thing, when God speaks to our heart, we better respond. What did Amos say? Okay, one more time. If you don't straighten up, the walls are going to be torn down. They're going to come in here and kill you and drag you off. And they're going to take you to the northern kingdom. And there's going to be no more. No response. All right, one more time. I had a vision from the Lord. If you don't faithfully follow the ways of God, he will destroy you. No response. How about on Sunday morning? Thus saith the Lord. No response. When God speaks, we better do something. I think there's two ways that we respond when God speaks. If we're not walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, we repent. Hey, you're going the wrong way. Hey, nation of Israel, you're going the wrong way. It's not going to end well. Today, as a church, hey, guys, don't follow the world. Follow Jesus. Follow the word. Follow, just do this. That's all God's going to hold you. That's all he wants you to do. It's simple. Just, just do that. Repent. The second way we respond to the word of God is as a believer, as we're living for the Lord, is to continue to trust. As you're living for the Lord and, and, you, and you follow Christ, and I would say this, as we grow and follow Christ, to me, God ought to get bigger every day. The gospel ought to get sweeter every day. I think the gospel ought to mean more to us each day we follow Christ than it ever has before. And so often in our Christian life, we're trying to get back to where we felt when we first got saved. Well, that's not, that shouldn't be that way. I think we ought to rejoice in our salvation every day. It's kind of like marriage. It needs to get sweeter every day. Any relationship ought to get better as we spend more time with that person. And as I live for the Lord Jesus Christ, I could say, well, hey, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm, I'm following after you, Lord. Continue to trust him. So we either need to repent or we either need to trust. But I thought about this early this morning. Isn't it great? Whatever the response is, it's the same reaction. When God speaks, we need to respond. We need to hear. We need to put ourselves in a situation that we can hear from God on a regular basis. The word of God every day. The house of God every week. We need to put ourselves under a vehicle that's going to allow me to more clearly hear from God than any other way. And then I need to obey it. God is so faithful to work in my life when I ask him what I need to do. But am I as faithful to respond to it? 
So I need to hear the word, I need to obey the word, and then I need to continue following after the word. React, do something, I guess you could say. Just do something. I will raise up the tabernacle of David and restore its branches. And I will plant you and you'll never be moved again. Aren't you glad that in Matthew chapter 1 we realize that he rose up the root of David in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he has planted us as his church never to be. Have you ever thought about that? The church will never be defeated. Even in death, we're not defeated. The only one upset when I die is going to be all y'all and poor Sharon. Even in death, It is victory. I'll never be defeated. I'm part of an undefeated team, the church. You're talking about being spiritual arrogant. We ought to be spiritually arrogant people. We ought to be a a, a Christian look of Clint Eastwood everywhere we go. There ought to be whistling background cowboy music every time we enter into Walmart. (laughs) Something's going to happen in here. but we walk around like we're so defeated. We've won. We have the remnant. I don't look at Amos and go, well, I cannot wait the nation of Israel gets rebuilt and everything takes place in the millennium. You're missing it. It has happened. The cross of Jesus Christ. We have been planted. We have been raised up through the gospel. We are his people. Yes, there'll be an ultimate restoration of all things in the millennium, but I don't care. We're all going to be there together. Do you have that hope today? Aren't you glad we learned about hope and the hope of God through the book of Amos? Aren't you glad we have the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's stand as we pray. Lord God, we are grateful. that we have you. I pray today that we realize that we need you. I pray today, Lord, that we realize that you alone are the rock of ages and our hope in a difficult day. As we sing today, let this not be worship about me, but worship unto you. This we ask in Jesus' name. That's all for this edition of Living Faith. Listen in every week for more from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. You don't want to miss any of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Roll Down, Judgment and Restoration in the Prophecy of Amos. Our senior pastor, John Beck, will be walking us through that important Old Testament book for the coming months. For more information about First Baptist Church of Avon Park, just go to fbcap.net. You can find us on Facebook by simply searching for First Baptist Church, Avon Park, Florida. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash fbcavonpark. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. Our Sunday service begins at 1045. You can find all this information and more at fbcap.net. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time on Living Faith.